This episode of the Asia Rising podcast was recorded in front of a live Zoom audience. To find out more about our upcoming events, where you can listen in and even ask a question yourself, go to latrobe.edu.au forward slash Asia. Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast of Latrobe Asia, where we discuss news, views, and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. As strategic competition between the US and China increasingly shapes the region, Vietnam has reorientated its national foreign and defense policy. Vietnam has been increasingly vocal in its opposition to Beijing's activities and claims in the maritime domain. It has also been deepening diplomatic and defence links with the US and other regional partners such as Australia. Here to discuss Vietnam's strategic challenge is Dr Huang Le Tu, Senior Analyst from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute and non-resident fellow at the Centre for Strategic and International Studies in Washington DC. Thank you for joining me Huang. My pleasure, thank you for having me Matt. Uh, so I thought that we'd start by giving a, a little bit of a, a broad overview Vietnam is geographically placed uh, as a close neighbor to China and has a long stretch of coastline that's on contested waters. How would you describe Vietnam's strategic situation? I think Vietnam has a very good strategic location. It's located in you know struggle Southeast Asia divide between maritime and continental, really. Traditionally, it has been a tendency to describe Southeast Asian scholarship as a divided region between subgroups of maritime and continental countries in Vietnam straddles that divide. I actually wrote a small monograph entitled Vietnam's Traveling Southeast Asian Divide because it has a long coastline of over 3,400 kilometers. There's a profound interest in the sea, as you mentioned in the introduction, precisely in the South China Sea or Vien Dong, the East Sea. But it is also located in the Indochinese Peninsula with land borders to Laos, Cambodia, and China, of course. And it plays an important role in the Mekong subregion. So it has significant interest in the mainland Southeast Asia, too. And besides Thailand, it's the biggest economy in that subgroup. It is the most populous one. It's a good connector between maritime Southeast Asia and the mainland Southeast Asia. And being in the group of developing countries, it is also a good connector between the so-called second tier of uh, ASEAN, which are the countries that join ASEAN later, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, and Vietnam. And they were used to be grouped together as CLMV, although my Thai friends joke about Vietnam's economic growth, that it will soon replace Vietnam and will become CLMT instead of CLMV. That just is to say that Vietnam not only is a great connector in terms of geography within the Southeast Asian countries, but also in terms of economic bridge between the more developed ASEAN countries with the one that are developing a little bit later. So because of where it's placed regionally, it's right in the middle of a lot of strategic competition, uh, essentially between the US and China, and broadly their allies. It seems like most places fall in between those two camps somewhere. So how has this influenced its foreign and defense policy? So the major power competition and relationship with the US and China have been obviously very critical for Vietnam's 
foreign and defense policy and for its security and economic development. So I think it's been a pillar and guiding core interest for Vietnam. I think because Vietnam neighbors China, it's been probably heavier focus on China traditionally, although there are increased bilateral relationship and development with the US. But I think just how China relationship with the region in Southeast Asia and its international position changes, I think Vietnam being next door to China and often the first one in the line to experience those changes or turbulences uh, has to pay extra vigorously, very close attention to what's happening, how China is changing its policies in the region. I think the US-China great power competition also affect Vietnam in a very profound way. In many ways, I think Vietnam also has an agency in that a competition is not just about US and China competing in the region. And one of the key arena of competition would be the Southern Sea, right? And that's also a primary focus and interest of Vietnam. So Vietnam has a stake in the great power competition, in particularly in the region, in particularly in the maritime domain. And it's actually one of the competitors because it has claims in the South China Sea, competes with China, or at least wants to reject China's attempts to completely dominate the South China Sea. So I think it's a mixture between as a smaller or middle-sized countries in the region, is very attentive to the U.S.-China Great Power competition, but on the other side as well is as a stake in it and is an active participant in the broader geopolitical development that we are witnessing now. You mentioned ASEAN before. So part of the purpose of ASEAN uh, is for Southeast Asian states to strengthen their position and kind of present a collective and united front on on some key issues that they can agree on. Uh, So is ASEAN meeting its purpose when it comes to this in Vietnam's eyes? And has Vietnam been able to work within ASEAN to negotiate advances for its own interests? I think with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, it's been a mixed record, to say the least. It's a living organization, so it changes along with its members who who also change. So I think for Vietnam, the journey to become an ASEAN member was a very important one that defined its foreign policy trajectory and gave it a regional grounding and, and wider window to the global arena. It's still very important to Vietnam because it's needed to reassure its neighbors that it is one of them among them and not antagonizing them in the post context because once upon a time ASEAN was actually to counter uh, communists in the region. So I think for many reasons that socializing Vietnam into ASEAN was quite important in the post Cold War era for Vietnam and it's still important But I think the leaders in Vietnam also come to understand the limits of ASEAN, especially when it comes to be one of the channels to exert or exercise Vietnam's interests in South China Sea in particular, that has been a rather bumpy road and and protracted process. Nevertheless, still necessary process, a, a diplomatic process of bringing the regional dispute to the regional multilateral arena. 
But of course, that has its limitation being the primarily diplomatic platform with so many different members and their different interests. So it hasn't been easy, uh, of course, but I think we also need to acknowledge that the leaders of, for example, Philippines, Indonesia, or even Thailand, or more recently, Malaysia, they're different generation of leaders and not the founding fathers or the elites that have inherited after the founding fathers generation. They're very different leaders, like populously elected or the ones that are insecure sometimes about their positions. And some of them quite inward looking and arguably less committed to ASEAN agenda than they once used to be. But I think for Vietnam, it's both recognition that ASEAN has its limits, but still has its values after all. Mm. If that's the case, if there is limits and Vietnam has concerns and agendas in the East Sea there, how does it go about dealing with security issues there? How does it enforce and legitimize, say, its EAC, the, the Economic Exclusive Zone, and, say, disputes about who gets access to places like the Spratly Islands, although I know the Spratly Islands are probably a, a bit of a reach at the moment, but how does it go about exerting its influence and agenda in that area? So this multilateral arena or multilateral channel through ASEAN is just one of the pillars of Vietnam's strategy in the South China Sea. There are other pillars, including, of course, bilateral relations and managing those bilateral relations with China. And of course, investing in own defense capabilities, the deterrence capability within Vietnam, of course, internationalizing the dispute, which is one of the exercises it does through ASEAN. But interestingly, WIAA's military balance from this year, 2021, stated that China maintains pressure on its main South China Sea adversary, which is Vietnam. That's an interesting assessment, putting Vietnam now as the primary adversary in the South China Sea. I think there is a fairness to that assessment because in recent years, we probably saw Vietnam shouldering most of the weight in countering China's extensive attempts to control South China Sea, especially after Philippines turn under the President Duterte. I mean, Vietnam now is one of the most active plasma standing among its neighbors when it comes to South China Sea. You probably hear every week or every month some statements from Vietnam's Ministry of Foreign Affairs protesting China's activities. Just last week was, for example, China sent the Y-20 military transport aircraft through Mischief Reef and Subi Reef and Fury Cross Reef, which Vietnam obviously reacted to, responded diplomatically. You can find those kind of response and reactions almost every week, every month, whereas other countries in Southeast Asia, the other claimants are less inclined to do so. I think they are doing that very selectively. So there's a lot of Vietnam's role in sustaining that diplomatic pushback on China's attempt to controlling uh, the disputed waters. One thing I would add to the traditional Vietnamese strategy in South China Sea is that you know, once upon a time, Vietnam used to say that Vietnam is able to compartmentalize the South China Sea dispute with China in its bilateral relations with China. So other than the South China Sea disputes, other aspects of relationship are good or positive. 
and they have a party to party talks, for example, and other aspects are okay. And South China Sea are just one facet of the complex relationship. And this is a, an opinion that you would still hear, for example, in Indonesia or Malaysia. But my argument has been that it's no longer feasible to talk about compartmentalizing. South China Sea dispute has become a core of the bilateral relations. It guides everything. It will affect trade, people-to-people -people relations, diplomatic relations. It is the source of tension. And as long as China does not compartmentalize, and we know that it does not, with example, Vietnam, but also Australia and other countries, when it comes to its dispute, then it is no longer really feasible for Vietnam or any other country to talk about compartmentalizing. Mm. Well, in that case, do you think Hanoi will move closer to the US or are the ties between you know, China and Vietnam actually stronger than we may think? Where does the US fit into Vietnam's agenda then? I think the current US-Vietnam relations are one of the strongest, if not the strongest, in the living memory, obviously, with exception of the South Vietnam period. But it is building others in on very good trajectory with some bumps, of course, but in general, I think it's been very positive. Closer defense relations, even though the US would complain about the trade deficit with Vietnam. But you will see building up of the trust, increased diplomatic visits, as we saw just last month with Vice President Kamala Harris visiting Vietnam and Singapore, only two of Southeast Asian countries. Secretary of Defense General Austin came to Vietnam as well in the first tour to Southeast Asia next to Singapore and Philippines. And I think, you know, there is a lot of room for US and Vietnam to grow that relationship. But I would say be careful with the direct conclusion because in the great power competition between US and China, Vietnam will always go to choose Vietnam. Any alignment will only go as far as it benefits own national interests. The goal is to sustain its sovereignty, territorial integrity, and security and conducive in international environments. Vietnam's approach to alliance has been very different to Australians, for example, of course, because of they're dictated by different historical experiences. But I think that won't change. I think as long as their alignment in interests and cooperation beneficial mutually, it will progress. But it primarily is not choosing US or China, it is choosing Vietnam. So how has the COVID pandemic played into influencing the strategic balance in Vietnam, uh, whether it be through vaccine diplomacy or knowing who your real friends are in that situation? I guess a good example is the one you just pointed to with Kamala Harris visiting Vietnam, despite the fact that, you know, there's a pandemic on and her travel being limited, Vietnam was still a priority to go and visit. And I think that was the fourth US visit of some sort during the pandemic. I think first year pandemic and second year pandemic has shown a little bit of different dynamics too. The first year Vietnam wasn't hit that badly and it was actually Vietnam that was giving out, delivering and exporting the PPEs and masks that it manufactured. The second year though, with this Delta variant, particularly since mid-2021, has been particularly bad for Vietnam. 
and it has a huge shortage of vaccines in the beginning with rather slow rollout of vaccines and being slow in securing those vaccines in the supply chain. So it actively engaged in what Vietnam calls vaccine diplomacy, which is engaging countries to get the vaccines by donation and purchase. By now, Vietnam received vaccines from all kinds of countries, including U.S. is one of the more generous donors. I think by now it's six million doses. China has also promised a lot, but Vietnam also had to purchase or at least certain private companies in Vietnam purchased Sinovac as well because the donations were relatively low. And also there was a factor whether people would trust Sinovac or Sinopharm. So I think when it comes to vaccine diplomacy, there wasn't as much effect in Vietnam like it was, for example, in Indonesia or Philippines. I think Vietnam has had an ambition to, first of all, have own vaccines, but second of all, become the production hub in the region. So it's been working towards securing technology transfer. Uh, vaccine diplomacy on its own is not going to shift much in Vietnam kind of alignment politics. Obviously, it has exposed Vietnam's a little bit of weakness in the beginning in securing the vaccines. But I think as it goes on, it's able to catch up and, of course, secure supply from different countries, not relying on anyone, particularly in a more imbalanced way than other. In terms of vaccine diplomacy between the US and China, it won't change much. Obviously, Vietnam has been grateful for those who donated when it needed most. But I think the strategic alignment is a long game and vaccine diplomacy alone is really hard to skew any major way. Mm. All right. Uh, a lot of people have been asking questions in the Q&A about AUKUS, so I've, I've maybe held off it too long. So <laughs> we'll turn the podcast into that direction. So the recently announced uh, pact between Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom will, in the distant future, see Australia cruising around the ocean with some shiny new nuclear submarines, which we are all very excited about down here. So what did Vietnam think about that deal? And from your perspective, how will that alter the strategic balance in the area? I think, uh, first of all, Vietnam was relatively slower to come up with any formal statements, unlike, for example, Indonesia or Malaysia and Philippines, who we were relatively fast to comment on it, both in terms of official as well as intellectual elites uh, making comments on that. Vietnam has been relatively reticent on the issue and only a few days ago that Vietnam issued a statement from the spokesperson of the foreign ministry saying that peace, stability, cooperation and development in the region and the world is common goal for all countries and all countries should have responsibility to contribute to that. That's a very enigmatic statement, isn't it? But what it means is that every country in, in the region has a responsibility to contribute to peace and stability. And while the comments behind the scenes would say Vietnam is also concerned about potential arm race and the nuclear component to this submarine deal, although uh, we're talking about nuclear-powered submarines, but of course, the issues of non-proliferation also occurs in the debate. But 
I think really it didn't alarm Vietnam. It's a deal that we don't know actually exact date. It might be 15, 20 years. So it's no reason to be alarmed yet. And unlike some other comments in the region, I don't think Vietnam would put this as Australia driving arms, right? I think Vietnam recognized that Australia is responding to a more, more tension in the region, more, more strategic and security issues. And this is Australia's way of making itself secure. So it won't comment on Australia's right to protect its own security interests. It's not in the business of telling other countries what to do. Like, for example, the former Prime Minister of Malaysia, Mati, who likes to share his comments, or even, you know, some countries in the region that have the habit of advising countries in the region what to do and not to do. I think this is relatively still new for Vietnam to get into that role or even commenting on anything more beyond South China Sea. You know, Vietnam itself in one of its South China Sea strategy, as I mentioned, is also investing in its own defense capabilities and deterrence capabilities. So Vietnam on its own is also interested in different maritime strategies and warfare, including submarines. So that's quite interesting for Vietnam to observe. I don't suspect there will be any major reaction from Vietnam, but obviously as long as it's for peaceful purposes and not contributing to arms race, that would reassure Vietnam a little bit. Okay, look, we've got plenty of questions uh, in the Q&A, so I might open it up now to the audience. We'll get started with Bin Pham, who wants a, a bit more detail about AUKUS. So I think considering what you were just talking on, uh, Bin, there you go. Hi, everyone, and um, thank you for this uh, podcast. It's a very, very uh, important and to my research as well as to the others. Your question about the new alliance, AUKUS, between the three countries, will this alliance influence importantly and politically on Vietnam, as well as the intention of the EC? Will it be able to curb the ambition of the China or escalate this area's intention? Thank you, Bing. And I should say that all my comments and analysis are representative of my views only. Look, I think AUKUS is a new framework of a set of relationship between Australia, UK and US, which had been very well established. Those are countries that had alliance relationship with each other for a long time. They have very wide, very deep, all sets of collaboration and cooperation, including defense, intelligence and everything else. So I don't think it's really groundbreaking. It is Uh, reflecting another commitment, another grouping. I think in in the broader Indo-Pacific, it shows sort of viable geometry where minilaterals seem to be popular right now, whether it's quadrilateral or trilateral, but smaller groups that are more like-minded, more aligned, perhaps more agile in a smaller grouping and more willing to do things together. So they call it coalition of the willings, probably much easier to coordinate that in smaller uh, numbers than in larger numbers. Obviously, for some who who had been closer to US or UK or Australia, that might indicate some sort of exclusion, even among the Quad members. I've spoken to a number of friends in Japan and India and that who 
support orcas but also I have question mark whether it, it excludes them but Vietnam has never been in those was not a member of any of that so doesn't have that sense of exclusion right but I think Vietnam in general would be interested to see countries or groups of countries that are more interested in pulling their weights in, in securing the strategic stability and strategic order in the region because the tensions will rise whether we have a response or not, response such as AUKUS. But even without AUKUS or Quad or any other deals, we know that tensions in the region will rise with China's increase ambitions and activities, and I would even say hyperactivities in South China Sea. So I think excluding any activism or response to that would not necessarily mean that the region would be more quieter and more stable. Okay, the next question that we'll take here is um, from Maud Nazar Rabin. Hello. Hello, good morning. Thank you for the talk. I would like to ask you about, uh, just now you mentioned about party-to-party relations. And recently we have seen uh, Nguyen Phu Chok for the first time ever conducted a trilateral meeting in Hanoi with party leaders from Laos and Cambodia. So do you think in the context of increased China's presence and influence in the region, what is your comment of this trilateral meeting? Do you think it is part of larger effort by Vietnam to ensure that Laos and Cambodia remain in its sphere of influence? Thank you. I think for Vietnam, it's very important to have good relationships with its immediate neighbors and Laos and Cambodia are its next door neighbors. And in the past, of course, Vietnam and Cambodia has had differences and there were conflicts between them. So obviously it's a more complicated relationship, which now are on better terms relatively. But uh, with Laos, Vietnam used to be the largest investor and the, you know, one of the more influential actors in Laos. But of course, now China has become the, the biggest investor in Laos. And of course, it far exceeds Vietnamese investments in Cambodia as well. I think as fellow ASEAN countries, and Vietnam played an instrumental role for Cambodia and Laos to join as well to ASEAN, I think it's important for Vietnam to continue that kind of socialization of of regional norms and socialization of larger strategic goals and common kind of interests in the region. That's one. Another reason is also both Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam share the Mekong River, among others. But it is also important for all of them to be on the same page in terms of natural resource management in the Mekong River, especially on the upper stream compared to Vietnam. And as you know, there are issues with excessive hydro dam building in the Mekong and Vietnam being at the estuary. It's very disadvantageous position. It's important for Vietnam to exert its diplomatic influence in the region, but also this, this has been long-standing dialogues and neighborly relationship. There's nothing new in it. The question is, you know, China becoming the most attractive in that region will overshadow other actors, including Vietnam and Thailand, for example. So I think it's important for Vietnam not to drop that ball either. But when we put it in the context 
this is not something new. It's an ongoing efforts of, of the neighborly relations. All right, we'll take one more question to uh, lead us out here, and that is from Thomas Mansfield. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Paul. So, final question: How does Australia feature in Vietnam's worldview? Short and sweet. <laughs> Short and sweet. Uh, I like them. <laughs> I think Vietnam considers Australia a very valuable actor in the international arena. Traditionally, Australia as a middle power was very supportive of multilateralism and the role of, of you know, middle and smaller powers. So in that aspect, Australia's voice in the international arena has been very useful and advantageous to countries like Vietnam and also support for the, the international law, rules-based order, particularly when it refers to the South China Sea in particular. Australia has been also quite an active uh, development actor to the degree and has interest in Southeast Asia. So that's mutual interest from both sides. Now, I think in recent years, as the tension rise, Australia's strategy towards responding to the, those tensions as well as Australia's position in the region has been evolving too. I think with an eye on the strategic issues, I think Australia and Vietnam are relatively like-minded and increasingly important for each other. Also on other aspects, including trade and you know, both countries are looking at diversifying their own trade markets and networks. That's actually very in tune. Australia provides a lot of capacity building and training, also in maritime domain, um, but not only, but Australia, for example, uh, support Vietnam in its relatively new endeavor of sending UN peacekeeping forces to South Sudan. And Australia has been very supportive in that effort. So I think there, there are many reasons why the bilateral relationship is also on the upward trajectory, especially that the two countries now are also strategic uh, partners and have new initiative to enhance and expand its co uh, economic cooperation. But the question is also, what kind of role Australia wants to play in the region? Is it also an active actor in competition, as many policy makers are saying, that Australia will actively compete? I think Australia's relationship with China will also be a fact in the broader Australia's regional engagement and regional role. I think for many reasons, at the moment, Australia and Vietnam are quite like-minded in strategic terms, and I don't see major issues of contention between the two countries, really, other than, of course, what we often mention, human rights issues, but they're not really a contentious issue in bilateral relations. There are a lot of new initiatives. I think the bottom line is that there is a lot still room to grow for the two countries. And in relative terms, the two countries have not been as close, for example, as Australia with a number of other Southeast Asian countries. So there's a lot of room to grow there, not much contention, but the question will be the ongoing commitment, uh, because as you know, Australia's attention to Southeast Asia has been up and down, sometimes uh, very interested, sometimes rather lukewarm in the span of a historical context. So as long as that commitment sustains from both sides uh, in long term, I think the upward trajectory will uh, likely to continue. 
Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, as long as Vietnam doesn't have a problem with us taking our shiny new nuclear power submarines up and around the East Sea for a few laps, chuck a UE around the Spratly Island to come back a few times, we should be okay. Well, if you, if um, Vietnam will be able to detect that at all, <laughs> and if um, there's no, of course, nuclear containment <laughs> around, but obviously, I think closer cooperation, some information sharing uh, would be very much beneficial for the bilateral relations to build that trust. Right? All right. Look, I appreciate you taking my flippant comments so seriously and uh, your time today, Huang. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for everyone who tuned in for live questions. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast from Latrobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may cast your pod. Please leave a review. They are always very appreciated. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Twitter. Huang is at Lee Tu Huang, and she's done something clever and put a number two there for the two. And Latrobe Asia is at Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.